Hey guys, this is Brent Laffey, president of Armada Nutrition. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy this podcast, but one thing I wanted to bring you guys' attention, um, Armada is a very fast-growing contract manufacturer based in Tennessee and um, also starting a location in Utah. We're always looking for good, hardworking, inspiring people. Um, so if you have interest or have skills that fit the supplementation or contract manufacturing industry, go to our website, which is armadanutrition.com. There's a careers tab. You can link on that and see everything that's available. And you can also send us your resume and then we will be in contact with you. But uh, it'll be an interesting opportunity for anyone that's wanted to, um, to come into this industry. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode number 122, and I am here with the president of Armada, Brent Laffey. How are you, sir? Good, my man. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, I thought it was important to get you on. I, just so people know, full disclosure, Hostile is manufactured at Armada. And I always have a ton of questions about how it works and how everything goes. So I thought it'd be important to get you on to kind of discuss what it means. So... What, who is Armada and what do you guys do? Yeah, no, great question. Um, we are definitely um, generally behind the scenes. And, um, you know, most people that go into uh, to buy supplements, they see the, the sales and marketing brands like a hostile or some of the bigger brands. And, um, you know, for those brands, there's generally a contract manufacturer who uh, produces and collaborates on the formulation flavors and, uh, helps make sure the product is in compliance, right? With the, with the brand. So um, we are really an extension of the brands is the way I like to look at it. Um, contract manufacturer, we don't have any of our own brands. And in the US typically, um, I think only one or two of the brands that I know of produce their own product. So it's very common for um, companies like yourself to, uh, to find a contract manufacturer. And there are lots of contract manufacturers out there. Yeah, so that's actually one of the questions that people have about supplements because there seems to be this like, I don't know, there seems to be this disbelief about supplements that they're all the same or they don't work or so I kind of want to give give people a little bit more education so they know that what they're buying actually is there's a difference and it is worth it. So can you explain to me that I know Armada is one of the biggest, if not the biggest manufacturer of supplements. Can you explain to me what separates an Armada from a smaller company or one of the other bigger companies that's out there manufacturing? Yeah, hundred um, percent. One of the things that we pride ourselves on is that um, we're vertically integrated. Um, so uh, when I started the company, we partnered with uh, the world's largest distributor of ingredients. So typically okay. most of the supply chain, we're dealing directly through the manufacturer, um, which really is, you know, a chain of custody, right? So uh, we have relations with the manufacturers from a regulatory perspective, from a commercial perspective. So um, having that insight is, uh, is huge. It's different than buying through a middleman. A lot of times when you buy through a middleman, um, there can be a, all kinds of different issues you have, right? So yeah. that's one good thing. And then also the company we partner with manufactures flavors as well, too. Okay. So this is a creative advantage is um, typically in a contract manufacturer has a library of flavors that they're limited to by the suppliers they work with, which we still use other flavor houses too, but we have the ability to create innovate our own flavors with um, Pernova, who is a flavor manufacturer. So, you know, okay. you particularly, I could give an example is, uh, and I like this, this is a compliment of a hostile. Yeah. We're a very particular and picky customer. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that, that's a good thing. I mean, honestly, that, that is the customers we like. The, generally, the people who are pickier, the sales yeah. are better, their attention to details better. So we like it in some ways. But what it does a lot of times is we can go create a flavor customized for you versus yeah. just grab something off the shelf and make do. So that's um, two major advantages. And the last piece is we take a high pride in um, quality. Um, the dietary supplement industry, as I've as you've seen, has taken some some blows sometimes due to yeah. manufacturing. And there are a lot of good guys too. But one of the things we did was um, we run it to uh, GMP standards, which is typical for dietary supplement. Okay. We come to BRC. BRC is the umbrella under kind of the food. So like Walmart and Target and Kroger, they all go by the BRC guidelines. So we run basically dual um dual quality systems, one being dietary supplement, the other being BRC. Yeah. So with that, it gives a very clear, um, distinguished um, approval from the FDA, yeah. but also we're catering to um, to both systems. Does not Do not all manufacturers have to be under those guidelines? Can they just do whatever they want? Uh, see, the dietary supplement is very uh, great. Um, you don't have to be a GMP facility if you don't want to, right? But then okay. you wouldn't be able to put that on your label. So most of the dietary supplement companies are GMP. Now, what degree of GMP? Are they NSF? Are they, you know, that's different, uh, different scores, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. But few are BRC. I think there are some, but what we saw is kind of an uptake in uh, the supplement industry is becoming bigger and more mainstream. It's going into Target. It's going into Walmart. So we were kind of setting ourselves up for the future, knowing that eventually Target, Walmart are going to have some guidelines that GMP is probably not good enough. So mm -hmm. we're predicting the future and to be fair that seems to be the way it's happening what um isn't there any regulating body that says you have to be gmp or you have to be rc or is it just it's a free-for-all it is a free-for-all but it's all i mean like if you want to put it on your label that you're made in a gmp facility there is a standard to that right okay but if you you know johnny's garage down the road wants to produce products for you you could basically get it done there, but you're not in compliance of GMP and you'd be able to make no claims. So okay. that's sometimes as key as, um, you know, looking back at the label, making sure that it's made in GMP. So it doesn't necessarily assure it's perfect, but at least, you know, they're going by good manufacturing practices. Yeah. And, uh, NSF is the next step, right? I, I hope someday that you go on the back of the label and it has a plant number. So you could actually go online and look at where it's actually produced at, see if they've had 483s or any FDA issues. I feel like that would help clean the game up and let consumers understand, like, you know, for example, you could come in here, we're not the cheapest, yeah. right? You could go somewhere else and probably get a cheaper price. So what's the benefit of that? I would hope that the consumer could see that and go look and see, obviously, the good standing in all of our audit scores to help validate hostile. Yeah. So... What is um? Can you can you kind of tell the consumer what might be something that they might find in a facility that's not a GMP certified facility that may hurt them? Like, what are some of the things that you're eliminating by being a GMP certified facility? Number one, I think, is the testing requirements. Right, um, okay. GMP, you have to have some sort of finished good testing protocols and even some inbound testing protocols. So that right there is eliminating a huge amount of risk, right? Versus just inbounding something off of the C of A that says it's 98% acid. In reality, it's 92 and it has 8% impurities. So I think that's number one, you're guaranteed the testing protocols. Okay. Okay. Um, when you, when you said the three things that were most important, you said one of the things was supply chain and that you had to kind of direct 
connection to your supply chain where those other manufacturers didn't. What is, where are other supplies coming from and what is the difference? Like, what are the, what do you, what is the benefit to getting supplies from your supplier versus, or the raw ingredients from your supplier versus a different one? Yeah. And in some cases, um, there's no difference, right? There's manufacturers who are buying through a distributor who are buying from the same manufacturer. Sure. Uh, what sometimes happens though is they disguise where it's been made at. They'll put it on distributor letterhead, not the manufacturers. So really, all it do is doing is assuring we know what plant it's at. And yeah. the nice thing about Pernova slash Armada is that we have feet on the ground. So most amino acids, as you know, are produced in generally in China, some in Japan, some in the U.S. We actually have a team on the ground that works for Pernova that will go and basically do an initial audit of the plant. Yeah. And Give it a green light, red light. We're not a um, uh, audit. We're not basically auditors. But what we will do is do a risk evaluation, and then when we say, "Hey, we think this plant's the standard," we'll bring in a third-party company like called Intertech to go in and give the Chinese manufacturer third-party approval. So anybody okay. buying from is actually third-party approved. Okay, so I'm going to give you like a question on the most basic level from the consumer. If I see a product and one has creatine, the other one has creatine. Is there a way for me to know which creatine was sourced in a better place? It is not, no. Unless, okay. uh, for example, you use Crea Pure, right? Yes. Um, that's kind of a different one because there is a trademark and it's made so, by a German company. Can you explain? Yeah, since you mentioned Crea Pure, can you explain branded ingredients? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think branded ingredients are really good in the most part. That's a great example is... Uh, Korea Pure is uh, produced by a company called Oscom out of Germany. So it's, one, it's not China, whether that's something that um, some consumers care about or not, but also they have a higher standard of assay. So you know when you're getting Korea Pure, it has a 99% assay. You can go and see that, right? Okay. So you know it's to the highest standard. Whereas um, technically on the back of a label, it just says creatine mono, and it just says, sometimes it doesn't even say how many grams are in there, but if it says five grams delivered, mm-hmm. it necessarily mean it's 99% assay. They could be using an 80% creatine. I see. Overfilling the six and a half grams and the five grams delivered. So I think a lot of times the, the trademarks really assure the quality and there's more traceability to it. And honestly, there's a lot of um, tests you can see on it, especially on some of the clinically proven ingredients. You can go see that, right? So citrulline malate's an example whereas if you bought kiyohaku they did a lot of the studies that people are using now for generic citrulline malate yeah. uh, but it was citrulline malate bonded meaning they bonded the the malic acid and the citrulline together whereas in all reality right now when you buy citrulline malate it's just blended so I there's see. a proven study that shows that the actual blended works the same way as the bond mm-hmm. now, we did your formulation you know you're using straight citrulline so yeah. there's so I think that's always a good thing. So is it always for the consumer looking at a label, is it always better to look for branded ingredients or is there times where a generic ingredient may be just as good? It's, it's hard as a, as a consumer and not knowing the backstory, it's really hard to separate. separate. Yeah. I do feel that if you're trading, obviously, as you know, you can never make a product of all trademarks. They just would yeah. generally be too expensive and be, $150 on the shelf. Yeah. Um, there are certain items I think that now are so proven, like citrulline, like basically citrulline itself um, is a pretty pretty well-produced uh, ingredient by major companies. There's yeah. really not much of a difference between a trademark citrulline 
and a um, straight stitch ring. Okay. Um, it's hard to say. I think the, the real advantages are is the newer ingredients that aren't commodities. So example, like Pico 2, right? There's yeah. not a like-for-like Pico 2. You're buying that and you're knowing it's doing this because the clinicals prove that, right? Yeah. So that's the main point behind the branded ingredient is the branded ingredient has studies to back it up. Is that why? Okay. I just want to show people really quickly the kind of operation we're talking about. So this is, uh, I just want to show people what our model looks like kind of from the outside and the inside. It's not my garage. No, no, it's not definitely not your garage. How big is this facility? Uh, this one in Tennessee is uh, 338,000 square feet. 338,000 square feet. And this is, this is what inside looks like or part of inside anyways. Exactly. That's right there is the uh, the bottling line. So basically anything on the outside of those walls is after the product is sealed. Yeah. Everything done before it's sealed is inside uh, those walls. So what, um, sorry, I didn't want, I didn't mean to click on that. I meant to click on that. So this is a bottle. The bottles go down the line and get set up and everything. And how many, how many companies do you manufacture? Are you allowed to tell me that? Um, I can give you roundabout numbers. Um, we are doing less than we used to just because of labor and supply chain issues. Um, now we probably produce for um, 15 to 20 and probably, you know, that kind of 80, 20 rule where the majority of, of the volume. I'm sorry, you cut out to the last second there. What was the last thing you said? I mean, it's one of those things too, where a majority of the volume is, you know, a couple of the brands, right? Yeah. 80, yeah. But um, we had used to um, produce up to 25 or 30. And I think, I don't think there's a right strategy, but what we're trying to do is really work with some of the elite brands and partner and have maybe less customers, bigger brands, but focus more on them and partner. So I think over time, we may even have, you know, probably 10 to 15 is where you want to produce for. So let me, 50 to 100, I just feel like yeah. you're, you're not going to give the time or attention to the brand. Definitely. So let me ask you, so again, I'm, I'm asking you questions as a consumer, just thinking out loud. If you have fifteen, if you have fifteen uh, companies you're manufacturing for, how do you keep them different? And like, if I'm buying from those, let's say I knew the fifteen, right? Yep. What what makes them different? What makes one better than the other? If you're manufacturing all of them, a hundred percent. I think um, that's what you have to be really creative, or not creative, you have to be careful with. Sometimes is obviously you want people to have confidential IP and this industry. Sometimes it's a copycat industry, so you have to be careful of that. I think we've been very lucky is that we've, we've grabbed on and partnered with some of the elite brands who are more pioneering their own category than trying to follow. I mean, you're a perfect example of that. You didn't come in and say, hey, match these SKUs that are selling well. You're like, I want to make the best product at the full dosages. Um, we have a couple other brands, one that we started with um, pretty much since day one with Armada. They started at the same time, and they're a lifestyle so yeah. they make good formulas. They're very important on the flavor. They're very particular, but they're not conflicting with you. So I think a lot of times what we try to do, and it's not, it can't be perfect because we're trying to balance, obviously, output is trying to not deal with the same type of brands too much. Yeah. You know what I always wondered from, just from my point of view as a, as a supplement owner, if I ask you for a specific flavor, right? And you have another company that you're manufacturing for that also has that specific flavor. How do you just not, how do you not match them? Like it's, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's great. Like let's say company X and hostile are like both ask for orange. 
how do you make sure as Armada, both the oranges aren't exactly the same? Yeah, no, there's, it's a really tricky one. Um, an orange is a little bit easier than specific flavor. Yeah. Where uh, some people know that we're making someone's brand and they'll come hit us up in like an email saying, hey, we want to make this person's, and like that's yeah. a run automatically is like, we really don't want to do business with you. But the harder ones are is you have your existing brands and a flavor maybe someone creates becomes a, more of a commodity. Yeah. And how you separate them, right? So one of the things we do is um, we really try to when we make a flavor code, we make it specific to the brand, and we're not they're not allowed to use the same flavor code, right? So yeah. that would never be made up of the same flavors as it would be for brand X. Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes back to, to testing and revisions because when you send me something, I test it, and then I'm like, it needs this. So eventually, it's going to end up different than whatever you had. That's why we like customers like you. We have another customer that's very particular like that because it ends up being so personal. There's the roadmap, right? We're giving you first submission. And generally with you, I mean, it's four to seven probably revisions sometimes before you approve it. And then it's completely customized. So that helps um, to having brands that really want their own personal identity. I must say we're very lucky that out of our core brands right now, they're not the kind of brands who say, hey, go knock this off. Yeah, yeah. I think it sometimes is you have to like deflect and not work with those type of people. Yeah. It can be pretty messy. Do you have companies that come in with just a lot of money that will just throw a bunch of money at you and say, Hey, can you please just make this thing from start to finish? I don't want to formulate. I don't want to think about a design. I don't want to like, do you do that? Would somebody can just come in and say, here's a boatload of cash, make it from scratch. Um, honestly, we haven't had many like that. Yeah. Maybe it's because that's not uh, the people we're attracting. We've attracted people who really want to be part of the process. And um, generally, maybe it's because of the connections I've had or people who are really in the business. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> wouldn't say that hasn't been something we've had. You have some CPG companies like the big, um, you know, it's like a General Mills or Nestle. They're becoming interested in this space. Okay. And that being maybe the avenue where they just want something, but they want to be hands-off. I see. So I want to get into a little bit of the the personal side of it. Um, you're actually involved in competing and in bodybuilding in a way, correct? Yeah, very weak uh, amateur level, but yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. doesn't matter, man. So what? I'm always, always curious, what came first? Was it the competing and the interest in bodybuilding, or did that come after the... Like, was it business that interested you in this space or was it actually competing that got you started here? It's kind of weird how I got into it. Um, obviously, it was in the space before I started bodybuilding. And I have a very um, addictive personality. Okay. So, um, I have to be regimented. I have to be like, or else I'm the, the least busy I am, the worst person I am. Yeah. So, starting with business, I would just work almost 24 hours a day if I didn't have something else. So it started off with running. Um, I ran marathons when I started uh, the business, and um, but I was lifting at the same time, and I wasn't progressing as a uh, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously pretty, uh, sounds pretty stupid, but I really yeah. didn't. I'd, be, I'd go run 13 miles on a Saturday and lift legs afterwards. Oh my god! It's like the stupidest things, and yeah. so I, I started working with a um, a buddy of mine who's a nutritionist, and I could do my own diet. Um, took you know dietitian or was dietitian. But I had a guy looking over it and just kind of one of those things where he kept kind of going, I think you could compete, right? 
And I'm like, ah, I'm not going to go on stage and be half naked kind of thing. Yeah. And he kind of progressed the plan, progressed the plan, started liking my look. And then all of a sudden he's like, let's just hop in the show. Mm-hmm. First show kind of, I wouldn't say I was against it, but I thought it was a one and done and hooked me right then and there. Yeah. Right. Um, it's just one of those things is like with bodybuilding, you're never, you're never going to have the perfect physique. No. Kind of what I like. So it's always a plan, right? When you do a show, get critique. Where do you need to work? Make the next plan, next plan, next plan. And it yeah. kind of never ending, which is almost the scary part of bodybuilding. That the nose snow when it, when's enough, right? Yeah. But started about five years ago and I honestly I love it. Um, so how long were you at Armada before you started when you actually started bodybuilding or competing? Yeah, so I, I've been with I started with Pernova and then branched out and did Armada on my own. Um, been with Pernova for 15 years. And that's Okay, so wait a minute. So this is, I kind of know this story a little bit, but it's got to be really interesting to entrepreneurs out there that are listening. Yeah. So what were you doing at Pernova? So, yeah, I uh, started off out of college at kind of this low level of like purchasing, sales, and then worked my way up. And it was a very entrepreneurial company. Um, It was ran by a guy who's a former NFL player, um, very competitive atmosphere. It kind of was perfect for me out of college. And, Mm -hmm. uh, before I know it, um, I was running the nutrition division. And it, I mean, Pernova now is a billion dollar company. At the time, it was a $500 million company. And they allowed me to run the nutrition division at a very young age. And then they moved me over to Europe to start it up there. Spent three years in London building the whole nutrition business throughout Europe, um, which was great, kind of understanding the European market versus the US market. Um, and what they did was they basically do ingredients, they do premixes, and they do flavors. So I'd go into a brand like yourself and basically work on a formulation and understand your formula and then supply the contract manufacturer. Okay. And it was a great business for us, but ultimately, I, the missing piece was doing it all, right? So mm-hmm. when I moved back after my three years in London, I kind of was like, I'm ready to go do my own thing. And I have a very good relationship with the owner of Pernova. And so it was a hard kind of, it was hard to kind of come to that conclusion because I was very loyal to what he allowed me to do. Came to him, um, had the plan. And at first he was a little bit uh, reluctant because so much of the business they were selling to contract manufacturers. Yeah. But over time he said like, hey, if you're going to do this, I'd go in as a partner. So okay. it made it a lot easier then having the backing, right? So something I was committed to do anyway, but then we went in as partners and started Armada separate, which is a separate LLC. We started in Chicago where Pernova was. And then um, this facility in Tennessee came available in 2016. And mm-hmm. we, they were in, uh, no entrepreneurs will appreciate this because this is what I thought I lost my freaking mind. And we were in like 7,500 square feet, right? <laughs> Come back to Tennessee and view 338,000 square feet. Yeah. And within two weeks, we had an LOI going. Within eight weeks, we actually took over the facility. And I remember my first day going, we walk in here and we bought it as an asset. So we didn't buy the business, but we bought the building, the equipment. We actually got the ability to hire the people too. So it was great. All these their jobs, potentially. We got to hire them, take them on. The only issue is we didn't have much business. So July 1st, 2016, I walk in this place and we don't have a working computer. I have a hundred and some people staring at me and I'm kind of going, what the F did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of the start of Armada. How do you, you know, that's such a crazy story. Cause I don't know how somebody, 
I mean, obviously it helps that you had backing. Yeah. Going from 7,500 square feet to 330. How do you even make that jump without pausing going, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is too much. I think the beauty is uh, at that point in my life, um, I was willing to risk it all. And honestly, for me, for, for my partner, it wasn't that big of a deal. I emptied everything I had. Yeah. I had made good money at that point for being as young as I was, but I put it all in. And um, I think I was so naive that that was the thing that drove me. Because if I, if you asked me to do that again, even knowing the end result's been good, yeah. I don't think I can do it. I yes. mean, sleeping on an air mattress in my office, um, kind of wondering if we were going to get enough business to keep the lights on. I don't know if I would do that again. Yeah, I think sometimes being young and not so... <laughs> I didn't want to say it. But yeah, being young and not knowing is probably better, right? You just kind of yeah. bl blindly go forward. 100%. People ask me all the time, like, you know, kind of like any regrets. And I'm like, or would you do it again? And honestly, it's so hard because I'm like, there's like scar tissue from some of the things we faced our first few years. Yeah. I'm like, even knowing the end result, man, I just, I don't, I don't know. So yeah, I think being naive and the one thing I have, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the smartest person in the world, but um, I just, I don't want to lose. Right. Yeah. It's just competitive nature. And I think that's what goes into bodybuilding and other things is, um, you have a lot of people banking on you. I would show up here every day and see all these cars and I would just be like, okay, I'm going to work my ass off to make sure this goes through because all these people are banking on me. We move people from Chicago here yeah. and felt this responsibility outside of just myself. I'm like, if I go broke, there's plan B, I'll figure it out. But all the other people who are relying on you is just kind of the, there's no choice. How old were you at that time? Um, good question. I was 30, um, 32 when we started our model. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Young for um, what I was taking on. Yeah. And um, probably one of the things like that made it work. Being just like I said, young and dumb. How did you get through those times where you're sleeping on the, on a mattress in your office and, you know, working to get the first, how did like, where, when did you get your first big client where you're like, okay, I can breathe a little bit or did, was it just a bunch of small ones that came on that made you feel that way? Oh man, we made so many mistakes in the beginning. I could write a book of uh, how to sniff out bad bad supplement companies. Give me some examples of like, you know what? I, I I'm sorry I interrupted. I just want to I want to know because you know people people ask these questions all the time. How do I know a bad supplement company without naming any names? How do I? When you say that, what does that mean? It, it all starts with the owners and the people who run it, right? Just their yeah. character. You can tell by their ethics, and then yeah. I mean by the formulations if they're i mean a lot of times it's like they're you know such a marketing company that's kind of like that you know um they're hiding things or they're you know selling kind of like you know powder in a bottle with like this you know this marketing spiff yeah you can see it and i think at the time it's it's contract manufacturing is really tough and the fact is you can't really say no in the beginning yeah. because you have to fill the lines up to bring your cost down to get going um the beauty was we, we started with one company who literally started their company at the same time and we grew together. They were a great client. Um, they were kind of cranking up each month and you knew they were going to be reliable, right? That was great. But then there was five or six that it's just like, I mean, burned, you know, financially where it's kind of the checks in the mail type thing. Oh, no. Um, I mean, we had a supplement company. I won't mention the name, but like, this guy he got into a very large food drug mass setting. So you kind of he's put together. Yeah. I mean, this guy would go AWOL, MIA, 
and he was working from other people's email addresses, acting basically he had more. Oh, no. So, oh, no. so it was like almost like a Ponzi scheme, and uh, that one ended very badly, right? So that that I, yeah, sorry, that company that you started with, that you said you grew with, are they still with you? They are, yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of brotherhood. We've had some, you know, when you have a partnership like that, there's been some hiccups and it's it's not an easy business as you know, but um, it's been great to see them really grow and us grow over these last uh, six years. What are the biggest challenges? I know, I know this last year has been a big challenge with the pandemic and everything that's happened, but along the way. So how long is it? How long have you been with, how long has it been since you started Armada now? You were 32. How old are you now? Uh, 38. So six years. So six years. Okay. So what are before this year in a pandemic, what are like some of the biggest challenges you may have faced that you had to overcome? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things was like, obviously finding the right clients and right partners, right? We it's because in this industry, it's, um, it's changing, which is better because there's more direct consumer business, but it's crazy. It's six years ago. If you look at how the business was done, it was much different than today. Direct consumer wasn't a real big thing. It was really dictated by GNC, vitamin shop and retailers. Right. And the biggest issue with that is they would bring some clients in, let them feel important, put big orders in, they'd go away. So you saw a lot of influx of companies coming at you with big orders then walking away nothing contracted out, no real forecast. So you really couldn't look past um, like eight weeks. Really, you had open orders. And after that, you kind of, that ninth week, you're like, oh, shit, what's what's coming in, right? Yeah, yeah. Always nerve wracking. And then now you look at it as multiple things have changed. Obviously, direct consumer has been a great thing because um, supplement companies can make better formulas because there's obviously better margin than having to sell it through a, a third party. Yeah. Which brings up the quality of the and integrity of the industry. And then two, there's better forecasting because people now know, okay, worst case, I'm selling X on my website per month. So they give you some indication of here's my forward blanket orders. Yeah. Or it was just like, here's my order now. I don't know what's happening in three months. Did you have a lot of turnover of supplement companies? In the beginning we did. Yeah. And I think as a fault to the industry because like GNC and um, these retailers were just bringing people in and turning them, right? So you would see that as a co-man. And then on top of it, I don't think we did a good job the first couple of years. It's really like interviewing and getting into a better relationship with customers to know who you want to be with long-term, right? Yeah. I think around the end of 17, 18, we finally kind of grew up as a company and were um, big enough to where we can make better decisions instead of just grabbing onto someone who wanted to do a quick run. Yeah. That was the game changer for us. I think that sounds like the probably the biggest deal... Because to me, like to a consumer, when I think of a manufacturer, I think to myself, they probably just take anybody who wants to run. I mean, why do you care? You're going to take their money. They're going to make their run. And if they fail, they're like, well, it's none of your business. You you move on to the next guy, right? But I never thought of the fact that you still need to keep those orders coming in. So you have to sit with each owner and see how credible they are. Yeah, it's 100%. And it's so much better that way. And I'm not saying we're perfect at this point. We still, you know, we can make... Sometimes maybe not the best decisions, but we understand it enough. And I think um, that one big order is not going to make or break us. It's the longevity and kind of understanding um, the brand identity. Where are they going? Who And also, who are they selling? Like, yeah. I would much rather work with a, a mid-sized brand who's um, direct-to-consumer 
than someone who's a hundred percent retail, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you think um, in the future we're going to see stores kind of go away? Um, I mean, I mean, I know, I know people like to go in and feel and touch the product they're going to buy, but it feels like it's getting harder and harder. Like as a supplement company company owner myself, it feels like it's harder and harder to work with stores and still make the margin and still give people the price point that they want with the product that they want. 100%. So it's going to dwindle a little bit. I mean, it's crazy. Like six years doesn't seem like that long, but how fast it's changed in six years. I can see in the next five is you're, you're seeing it in just financial reports is that these brick and mortar companies are struggling, right? Yeah. Uh, people in the door. So, I mean, I think consolidation, I think you might see like a GNC inside a Walmart, right? Yeah. I think as being like a separate thing. I think that, I think gyms are still a good place to sell yeah. supplements too, because you're getting the foot traffic, right? But to be fair is this younger generation who's buying right now, they're not like you or I who used to read magazines or bodybuilding.com or um, going to GNC to look at things. Yeah. They go to yeah. It's crazy. So like we even see supplement brands where like they will go to the website They'll visit your website and then they'll purchase off of Amazon because they trust that logistical service better from Amazon than they do anybody else. It's frustrating to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, because, you know, Amazon takes for, you know, I'm sure the consumer doesn't know this, but Amazon takes a big chunk of your margin as well. Yep. So that's also that's also a tough one for a brand like mine where I'm trying to heavily dose the product so it costs more money. I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things in the industry that gets missed is, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit is what is the different, like when people think of pre-workout or they think of vitamin C or they think of whatever the product is, they, they're like, well, a pre-workout's a pre-workout. There's, they're all the same. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Can you, since you've dealt with so many different companies, can you touch on that a little bit? hundred percent. And I think that's one thing I, I feel lucky that we've gotten brands who, um, especially today, that value putting out good products. So like we don't have to formulate that fairy dust product anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's so much easier for a consumer now though, to do education because of online. So like, for example, I mean, you can just Google the ingredients that are in there and then what the clinical dosage are at. Right. So like, yeah. for your products, I mean, that's where you would just stand up against anyone is yeah. what you're putting in there is based on something. It's not just on, you know, Brent's magical wand, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, I just, I think consumers need to do more education. And I mean, there's been some articles, I mean, just, I mean, let alone scoop size. If you're, if you're consuming something that has five or six grams in a pre-workout, you might as well just have energy. Yeah. I, it doesn't really, I don't really understand that. So, I mean, just on start with size and then start breaking down what the ingredients are the great thing is the good brands like a hostile and some of the other ones we work with, it's full disclosure. It's on the yeah. label. Whereas 10 years ago, everything was basically put in like, you know, kind of like private IP. Yeah. Proprietary blends and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So fast, fast forward to pandemic times and you guys are, well, you guys aren't, well, you're struggling in a different way than the companies are struggling, but what are some of the struggles you're going through now with the pandemic and all the supply chain issues? It has been a very frustrating, you know, year and a half. And obviously, you know, I, you and I have had conversations about it. Um, it was really interesting. So when COVID really took off last March, it, it was kind of, we've had, it was a roller coaster. So right when March hit, 
a lot of our brands. You're, I mean, you guys just launched your, your company. Yeah, at the same, the same month. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it worked out for you, but crazy timing. But um, yeah. we saw all of a sudden April and May, just like when I say a dip, about an 80% dip down in orders. People canceled. Wow. The world's coming to an end, right? That was kind of the thought. Um, retailers are closing. People are trying to bring the inventories level levels down. So we were kind of in this, oh crap, what do we do? I mean, you have 600 employees and all of a sudden your volume goes down 80%, right? Yeah. So we made some quick decisions. We did not want to furlough. We did not want to let go of any full-time employees. So we got rid of basically what we could on the temp agency side that weren't permanent employees and kind of like, hey, let's see how these 60 days go. So we downgraded a couple of shifts. We were running the last shifts. And then all of a sudden around July, it just like everything came back times. And since then, we've never been able to recover because we went from being 80% down to actually these brands ordering 20, 30, 50% more than they had previously. Mm -hmm. I got into a delay. We could not staff fast enough because obviously the people who did let go, there was less labor out there. And then it kind of trickled. And then now you combine labor shortages because people either are afraid to work or getting still getting paid from the government or whatever the reason may be. Yeah. Don't work. And then the supply chain is the same effect. Just like we can't produce because we don't have enough people, the raw materials and the packaging suppliers face the same thing. So their outputs are 50, 60%, even though demand is like 120 or as before. So there's this huge shortage. Um, there's container shortages. There's, I mean, every material is almost in some sort of shortage. So it's like every day you're getting emails from vendors, either almost claiming force majeure, which is like an act of God, yeah. or either lead times have doubled, the price is doubled. And it's just like you're navigating through every day, kind of like on survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, what is the, what is the cause of all the labor shortages? Cause all you see is people out there looking for work. But then I also hear, like, when I, when I talk to you, you're like, well, I can't get people to come work. And I'm like, yeah. why? Like, you're hiring, you're offering, you know, bonuses and things, and people still don't want to come. Like, I don't get it. I, I really can't figure it out. I, obviously, you know, in the U.S., and I'm sure Canada is the same way a little bit, but um, they did have some pretty aggressive or progressive uh, unemployment um, yeah. funds. And that ended actually this month. Okay. And to, so it has been horrible. I, thought, I think a lot of people were making money staying at home, so there's no need to work. They were using COVID. Maybe, maybe some people were scared to go work with a bunch of people, and some were just using it as a, you know. Yeah. We've done two things: is we've actually raised our wages. Um, our starting wage almost went up thirty percent last month. Wow. And it, it partly to do is that I mean the market now everybody's kind of having the same thing, so you need to be where everybody else is at. And then, um, so when you do something like that, you're not just doing with this, the people that you're bringing in, you obviously have to give raises to the existing. Yes. Yeah. So it's a while to figure out if we should do it, if we did it. Um, and then I think with the unemployment, um, becoming more restrictive, we've seen an uptake in the last two weeks, more than we had in the previous 12. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful. I just, how things have been, I'm, I don't want to get too excited, right? So, <laughs> 130 people short four weeks ago. Yeah, and we are about 70 people short right now. Okay, so things are getting better. And then I know you talked about a new facility. So, 
it's it's crazy to me because you know you're having all these struggles right now but then you're also opening how big is the new facility in utah that you're opening yeah this is kind of goes with the story right what do you yeah. guys <laughs> um it's 438,000 square feet so wow. sure it puts us at the uh as the largest contract manufacturer in powders um but the reason behind it is yes we have labor shortages we're building this plant from scratch. We're gonna automate it even at a higher level. Um, so there will be a lot more automation. So you'll be hiring more skilled workers, which are easier to get than just general laborists. Sure. Okay, so you have the new facility coming up next year. Yep. New responsibilities, you gotta hire new people. Are you worried at all that you're gonna have trouble getting that up and running? Or do you already have business like, on the business end for people you know who are interested in that side of it, you already have, people waiting to, to fill that customers waiting to fill that space, like to make sure you have customers for that fact, for that manufacturing plant to run. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. We feel pretty good on that side. It can't come fast enough really. Yeah. Uh, Utah is a little bit easier to get uh, labor than it is even in Tennessee. Okay. So I wish we were up and running now. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of overfill business and unfortunately we've had to turn down business. Um, yeah just because we can't even really fulfill enough for our current clients. Sure. So goal one is to make sure we can fulfill all our current clients to hundred percent, right? Between Utah and Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee is where we're at after that, if we need more volume, but we know just with our current business, we can make profit in Utah day one, right? Yeah. Or yeah. One, but year one. Yeah, I get it. So that's exciting. And as for, um, staffing, we've been very fortunate. We, um, we have some good feet on the ground in Utah and from a high level management position, we've already filled our general manager. We're working on the quality director. So we should be in a high level staff way before we even open there. Which good. So one of the things I want to talk to you about too, is your timing. So as a, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who runs businesses, you also have a family, you have kids and you also compete. And I'm like, you know, I don't have, a, I don't have kids and, you know, I have the company and the podcast, but I'm like, I don't know how you, I, I don't have time to compete. Like, I don't know. How do you, how do you set up your day to make sure you can get all that in and give enough time to each of it? Yeah. And I can't say I'm perfect with this uh, by any means. Right. Um, there's some sacrifice that, you know, is given. Um, for me, it's uh, if I did not compete, and basically when competing in the mix of things, it's probably two hours a day, right? An hour of cardio, an hour of the gym. Yeah. Um, what I try to do is that cardio, um, and I didn't do this before. I bought a Stairmaster in my garage. <laughs> so go out there, plan my day, and then um, basically be able to see my kids breakfast, whatnot, go to work, right? And then try to work, um, work out generally at lunch to kind of just, I like that time kind of resets the afternoon, builds energy. And I honestly, when I'm competing, I'm more cognitively alert. I feel like I have higher energy. So I don't think I'm sacrificing um, too much on that. Yeah. There's no doubt that um, I have a very, uh, how do you put this? A very, uh, a, my wife is fantastic, right? She understands. She knew me from the beginning. She uh, I supports it. And she. I think she thinks when I'm competing, I'm even a better person because I'm just, I'm regimented, right? I'm making time. I'm planning, um, you know, if, on Sunday nights, I'm basically planning out my whole week hour by hour, which yeah. does include 
going to Chili's with the kids, going to this with um, her. So I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but I try to do a good job on Sundays of planning every hour. It sounds crazy, but people who know me know this is realistic. I have a notepad and I plan every single waking hour from Monday through Friday. How I, I can't, I don't know how you live like that, man. I'm so jealous. It seems like you're just a super high energy guy. Are you drinking like 10 monsters a day or like, what is, is it just, is it just in your nature that you're like this? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I stick to one or two energy drinks a day. Nothing too yeah. great. Yeah. Um, very high energy. Um, and I'm motivated by, um, I feel like as I get busier, my energy goes up. It sounds weird. Some people are yeah. different. And if you go into the bodybuilding world off season, I'm like, I'm sluggish. I don't yeah. want to be eating a ton. I feel lethargic. Yeah. I'm not planning my day. I'm not as positive. So it's almost like I have to have something on the calendar. That's another goal outside of work to keep myself kind of fresh. Right. Does that make sense? Or Yeah, no, it does make sense. I just wonder if that's a characteristic. It seems to me that that's a main characteristic of all entrepreneurs. Yeah. They all seem to have that really high energy, always working, always have something on your plate. And I, I don't think I have that. I'm looking for like, <laughs> you do more than you, you give I, <laughs> I need a couple hours a day to just do nothing. So, do you, does yeah. your time does your time with the kids suffer, or is that literally planned as well? You're like, I got to spend two hours with my kids. I got to spend, you know, an hour with my wife. I think it could like. There's no doubt. I could give more time, right? There's, yeah. there's absolutely no doubt. Um, but I would say over the last two years, I'm much better about. And part of it is the want to. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. When they were like the first three months of my first child, I'm going. Am I the most selfish sob there yeah. is? Wasn't yeah. that question there, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm kind of contemplating myself at this point. Yeah. And as I get older, my want to is more. So I'm planning for it even more. And I think getting better, it's like, you know, um, I want to bring my daughter to school on Thursdays. It's one day, but it's like, let's have that day. Let's do this, right? So it's there's a little compromise, but my goal is that um, when they're older, I have more time available because I'm financially stable and I can yeah. do what I want to do, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it, do you think, how important do you think it is for somebody like yourself, for somebody starting a business to have the support like of someone like your wife who is going to take the extra time with the kids when you can't or kind of fill, fill in when, when you're not available? I'm beyond lucky. I think, um, and I've seen this too with um, a lot of people in businesses, like that significant other sometimes is important to anything, right? If they're not supportive and they don't understand it. I mean, you're stressed at work, then you're stressed at home, you're stressed managing it. So if they aren't on board, it's not going to be easy, not going to be successful, right? And um, there's times my wife thinks I'm a lunatic. There's no doubt about it. But um, I think she she walked into this knowing how who I was. I didn't try to do some kind of like yeah. game of, you know, here's, yeah. here's this fake Brent. So I think that helped. And she worked with me too. So um, okay. she uh, she worked at Armada in purchasing. Then when we started the gym, she helped run the gym. So I'm sure kind of like you in summer, it's like we have, I think, a pretty good working relationship. Yeah. It helps, right? Because we understand each other. Yeah, yeah. So I had Patrick Bet David on the podcast a while back. And he said people like yourself, I think we were talking about like high energy people and people that are more successful. And he said the difference between people that are more successful and the people that don't necessarily make it are even when they're taking a break, they're not really taking a break. So he's like, basically what he's saying is like everybody, entrepreneurs run at like a level 10. Yeah. But, but when they're taking a break, they run it. They still run it like an eight. 
So is that true? Or do you have like a period of time where you're like, I'm going to shut everything off for a week? Like when you go on vacation, is everything off or are you still plugged in? Exactly where I was going to go. I would say I hate vacation. uh, (laughs) I thought that. She's British and they love holiday, right? Like, I mean, it's like two contrasts. And we've come to this realization is there's compromise. So we, we go on vacation and then I have set times where I can go into my little pocket to go knock out a couple hours of work or go work yeah. out. Yeah. I've kind of agreed now this is the style, but to your point, I sometimes envy, like I, I go on a vacation and I see these people just like laying out, reading a book and just like chilling, drinking a margarita. And I'm like, damn, am I like, am I actually screwed up in the head? Because mm. I don't want that at all. You and don't. And at this point in my life, I hope what I'm hoping is that, you know, 15 years from now, I want to do that. I don't think you're, I don't think you're gonna, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm like, I, I think it's from bodybuilding because bodybuilding taught me when you're working, you're working. Yeah. And when you're not working, you're, that's it. I turn it off. So on vacation, you can just, I mean, you're, you're good. You can kind of cut off, relax, yeah. be in the moment. When I, when I, I know guys who like, you know, bodybuilders who, when they go on vacation, they're still doing cardio in the morning or, you know, they bring a bag of protein with their oatmeal and shit. When I go on vacation, I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm just like, everything's, I'm not doing cardio. I'm not training. I'm not bringing any protein powder. Um, I envy but, you. Yeah. But I, but that's the thing is I envy you. I'm like, I wish I was that person that still had a little bit of work in me, but I, I'm like all or nothing. But it's kind of like everything in life, right? You always want what you don't have. Exactly. <laughs> we went to the Bahamas this uh, June. And I'm, I literally remember, like it was yesterday, I'm, I'm wired. I'm trying to enjoy the moment. I'm at the pool. And I'm looking around at all these people, like, and they're just soaking up the sun, enjoying it. Yeah. I have a million things. I'm like, I've left my phone over by the uh, chair yeah. for 10 minutes, and I'm getting anxiety. <laughs> like, Holy <laughs> shit. Like, I... I I need to get my head checked on. Right? Well, I, I always wondered about that with you and your phone because I'm like, I know you're copied on all of our emails. Yeah. Like when I send an email, I copy, I, you know, I send it to the person I need to talk to, but I also copy you. So then I wonder to myself is, are all the companies doing that? And does that mean Brent has like 800 fucking emails in his inbox? Like yeah. what is your, what does your phone look like? Is it constantly just dinging? It's yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I have a really good crew. Like you have, um, you know, Jimmy, I have a couple, they're great. They're fantastic. The cool part is I'm involved and I love being involved. I never want to be an owner who's like too far removed. Yeah. Same time we built a, I think a good team to where they understand the state of urgency that this business requires. So I don't have to kind of micromanage, but Mm -hmm. So they don't feel threatened or micromanaged, but I love being part of it and they know I'm passionate about it. So it kind of works. Right. But yeah, there's no doubt probably 15 to 1600 emails a day. Jesus. So what you, what you just touched on is something I've been trying to find balance with is I kind of like, we still have obviously a small company, so it's, it's a little bit easier for me to have my hands on, on everything, but I struggle with the uh, delegate and don't micromanage, but still be involved. How did you strike that balance where you're like, I'm still there, but I'm not going to be in their face. And I'm, I'm not hundred percent good at it. And there was no plan because when we started this business, it was kind of like, I'm not, this isn't, this sounds selfish, but it's like everything ran through. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you get to a point where if you're going to scale it, that has to change, right? But I wasn't that easy. It just, it's kind of one of those things where people um, stepped up and over time, the trust has gotten better and better and better, right? And um, now I feel very lucky and I couldn't imagine the way I used to be, but I think it's probably the same thing with your brand is it's going to be a combination of things. You guys are growing. Yeah. Now they're going to have to do it. Yeah. It's, it's going to stay too, you know, too small. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder, did, do you, did you get to a point where you're like, I don't feel as important because you're not touching everything? There's, there's certain days I'm kind of like, uh, I'll recap with um, a couple of our account managers and they'll tell me something about a brand, whether it's a new player extension or a new product, I don't know. And that never used to be the case. And I'm like, shit, man, like they're going to move me out of this place here pretty soon. That's what I wondered. Cause I was like, I actually sat in on a inventory meeting we had recently. And like I said, we're still small, but yeah. Uh, one of the guys that does our purchasing was like, yeah, we're getting this new thing. And I'm like, I never heard about that. Nobody told me. I mean, I did the plan for it, but I didn't know we ordered it already. So I just all of a sudden had that same feeling that you talked about. I'm like, I don't even think they need me anymore. What am I doing? <laughs> so, hey, the one beautiful thing for you, though, that will give you all these confidences, your name's on the LLC. So, uh, yeah, I, I just I don't ever want to be that guy that's like the name is on the, the thing, but doesn't do anything. I know I'm starting to look at these people like they they're looking at me like this guy is just kind of like a uh, coat hanger. Right now. <laughs> so um, so I wanted to, I wanted to before before you go we've been on for a little bit I know you got a busy day but before you go I want to touch on your gym because you are not only a fan of bodybuilding and competing but uh, you're also a gym owner recently there've been a year a little over a year now right Yeah um, we have so, two opened in February of, um, uh, you can go to carbon culture actually. Yeah. I just, I just want to show people really quick. So if you're not following Brent, this is Brent's personal page and on audio. If you're listening, it's Brent underscore Laffey. It's L A F F E Y. Um, and then this is the carbon culture page. If you're, if you're not following it's carbon underscore culture underscore USA on Instagram. And, uh, so you have a, a really you have a pretty big passion for this. I've, I've talked to you about, you know, yep. what you're building out and how it looks and equipment and stuff. So how long has it been in the works now? Yeah. So um, I've always wanted my own gym, right? At first it was like, Hey, can we put it in the warehouse of Armada? Right. Yeah. My HR lady told me I'm absolutely crazy. There's too much liability. So then I'm like, I'm just going to open up. this just like a small little garage gym where I maybe get a couple of personal trainers and I can just use the place. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden it escalated into um, going full into the gym business. And, uh, you know, I met Brandon Curry's obviously from um, obviously the Nashville area, got to know him through a couple different, you know, through the industry. And we had kind of the same vision of a gym. And it was in the sense of like hardcore with the people and the culture, but obviously we wanted to have a modern, clean look to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's kind of what we've done. And we didn't want to um, at the gate make it too big of a gym. We wanted it to be just like not crazy amenities, put all the investment in the equipment, right? Yeah. And we've done that. And yeah, it started from a, hey, let's just kind of build a garage gym to what it's become today. And it's been, I mean, it's been fantastic. Um, how many, how many square feet is this? Well, I know you have more than one location, but how many square feet is your location? Uh, the Franklin one's 8,000. Okay. Murfreesboro one is just a little bit bigger than that. Um, the exciting part is, I, I told you actually yesterday. Yeah. Um, 
we are in the midst of expanding in Franklin, which honestly was against kind of a business plan I had, but it's too good of an opportunity. And we'll be going up about 4X in space. And uh, it's going to allow us to do things that we just can't, you know, in 8,000 square feet, we have a lot of equipment. Yeah. But things you can't do. You can't do a pro shop. You can't do a real Cairo massage. You can't do like, all these couple amenities that we just can't do. It's going to allow us to do. And let's be honest, we can add more equipment, which is like I've become yeah. a, just this, an idiot with buying equipment. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how you get like addicted? <laughs> You're like, but maybe I want to try that back machine. And maybe I want to try this back machine. And you're like, next thing you know, you're like, you have seven pull downs and they all do the same thing. It's, <laughs> it's so bad. We were in uh, ten- like Tennessee at a steak show in Chattanooga. I went to a Gold's gym and they had this, um, uh, it was a uh, Rod- it was a Rogers I had never seen pulled out. Yeah. And on this thing, and I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Next thing you know, in between sets, I'm Googling it, then I'm buying it. Yeah. And, uh, I don't have space for it. So I, I buy this thing off of impulse. And then I'm kind of have to tell the general managers, like, I don't know where you're going to put this, but Make room, uh, yeah. 12 weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed like, okay, this is crazy. Cause I used to be the kind of guy that like, as long as I had one of every machine, I was totally happy. I'm like, I just need, you know, a flat press an incline press a decline, and I'm good. All of a sudden now I'm like, but this one feels a little different than this one. And this one has a little bit better range of motion. And this one, so now I'm having like two and three and four of these machines and I'm in the same place you are. I have a, like a 3000, 4,000 square foot like area. And right. I'm like, maybe it's time to find 12,000 square feet. Cause I need to buy more equipment. So it's like this addiction. I don't know what it is. It's like this addiction that happens, Yeah. but I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's like an end to it because there's always another machine you want to try. And then some variety, right? It's like, yeah. It is, it's bad though, is when you're looking at like you're buying gym equipment, like you're buying something on Amazon. Yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> but I'm not like you though. I buy the stuff used. So you're spending way more money than I'm spending. <laughs> I'm going to become smarter though. Um, no, but there's a reason I buy the used stuff because I actually like, well, one, because I want to save a little bit of money, but two, I actually like the old, some of the older stuff. Yeah. So I've, bought, I've been buying a lot of the older stuff and you know, Dorian Hamilton. So Dorian, buys a lot of the older stuff and just has it refurbished right? to match the rest of his new stuff. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm noticing a trend with you. So you, you bought an 8,000 square foot gym and now you, you couldn't pass up on a 36,000 square foot. Kind of seems like the Armada story all over again. Yeah. It's uh, it's a little alarming, but uh, <laughs> this one actually um, gives me a little less anxiety. I, uh, I feel pretty good about this plan. I mean, yeah. you should have any plan, but um, it's pretty, to uh, a 338,000 square foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What um, are you going to have members and how many members do you have to have to like, what's the business plan look like for a 40,000 square foot facility or approximately? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's one of those, it's a balancing act. We want to have a lot of amenities that bring um, revenue into um, from Luckily, Franklin's a very well-to-do area, so personal training can be a little higher than it will be in some areas. Sure. So that said is we have an ideal amount of numbers. We think about 1,200. And um, that's really to do with, like, knowing kind of the crowded time, what it would be. I just – I hate crowded gyms. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of – I want to profit, no doubt, and we can get there. But I don't want to oversell it first and create the shitty atmosphere where yeah. you're waiting for dumbbells and – you, you've been there. You hate it. Right? Yeah. 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 So I would rather 
have a little bit of a premium price because I think we will have a better offering than any place around and see where that takes us to that to that member amount, which I've kind of worked with the guys from Arsenal before, kind of doing some some math on if you have this many members and you're this type of gym, this amount of people come per week at yeah. a busy time, you'll be here, right? Yeah. The pieces you have. So we kind of played it out like that. We got to a number where um, it should be sufficient for the amount of pieces and then from a revenue perspective to make money and then mm-hmm. assess, right? If you come in and you have that amount and it's not that busy, you can up the game a little bit, but I just don't want to oversell it. How do you feel about spacing equipment in the gym? Because I'm like, I've, I've my biggest pet peeve is when equipment is so, you know, somebody buys like a, you know, whatever square foot place, but they pack it so full that you can't really move. I'm it's, guilty of that right now. Are you? <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I don't like it. So I'm with you. Is we That's one of the things about getting more space is like, we have people on top of each other. Um, yeah. If you're like, we have an arsenal inclined fly. Literally, we have it to the point where when it goes out, you have just enough room to put a weight on the other piece of equipment. <laughs> and it's going to be a liability. Someone's going to get hit eventually. Um, so I'm with you. I that is kind of a pet peeve. And um, unfortunately with the space we've had, we've kind of sacrificed that. But Yeah. That's my, um my, my biggest limitation because I keep seeing equipment I want to buy, but I have such a nice spaced out room, um, right? I don't want to ruin it by buying more stuff. So I have this like balancing act I'm trying to play. Are you and with your gym? Are you um, are you going to open it to the public ever? No, our, my my space is actually inside. So as you know, my brother who owns the company with us uh, owns Windsor Textiles, which is a glove manufacturing plant, and he owns the entire facility. And in the middle of the facility, facility there was a four thousand square foot area that wasn't being used. So he gave it to us as uh, to to create a hostile gym to kind of do content for hostile and stuff like that. So. It, it, it's not possible to open it to the to public just because they'd have to walk through the plant to right. get to the, you know what I mean? But and I think that's the way I prefer it, that it's not public. <laughs> well, well, I'll be, I'll be hundred percent honest. I, I, I like it when there's a few people in there training, exactly. but yeah, but I, yeah, I definitely don't want to have like a, a really busy gym or anything like that, but we are, I think me and Paul, uh, my training partner, we're talking about opening a public space next year. Having so, said, that's great. Yeah. That's the best fields, right? When we uh, we opened Franklin in February first of twenty twenty, yeah, as the COVID hit, right? So for March, April, and May, it was me lifting there, Brandon, my lifting partner, his, and a couple other people. I would, you know, yeah, let in. Yeah, it was really when we opened back up, it was the worst that ever happened to me. <laughs> I get in there and I'm like, "What the hell is that guy grabbing the weights for?" What yeah. Like pissed off is like a gym owner that people are in the gym. Yeah. What have yeah. I done? <laughs> you got to share your space again. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a little bit of that. And, and that is the hardest part sometimes is like, I wouldn't say I'm the most intense lifter, but like when you own something, people want to talk to you. And yeah. like, I sometimes struggle. I want to go in and put the headphones on and just say like, you know, I'll talk to you later. But yeah. Like, yeah. So some, I think if you have that setup where you have your own personal studio, and then a public gym, you'll be able to compromise kind of pretty nicely. Yeah, I never even thought of that aspect about being a gym owner is people want to stop and talk to the owner and give them, maybe they want to complain, maybe they want to just talk for yeah, exactly. or whatever. I never even thought of that aspect of it that would actually interrupt all your training or interrupt. Just, just go off on someone eventually. 
<laughs> they're pissed off that the weights aren't put away or something. Yeah. But I would say one thing that hurts for Brandon is Brandon is, uh, I've seen him do this. He's such a nice guy and he, people will stop him in the middle of his lift and he'll like literally have the conversation in between sets yeah. and can't say like, Hey, come cut me afterwards. And I, I just watch him and I'm like, I wish he could be a little bit more selfish, but and that's part of the reason probably why he has to, uh, go to Kuwait. Yeah. 40 minute conversation in between sets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I could totally see that. He's that kind of guy that wouldn't be able to say no. Um, yeah. if you had to pick, if you had to pick one piece of equipment in your gym, just out of my own pure curiosity, I know a piece in my gym that I'm like, that's one that I'm very happy that I got it shocked me. It's better than the rest. I love it. Is there one like that for you? Yeah. Um, I would say like, can I pick two? Okay, pick two. <laughs> yeah, you can, it's, your, it's your game, man. <laughs> All right, good. I just I just picked my own rules. Um, okay. <laughs> we have a Rogers hip thrust machine that we just got. Okay. And it is freaking awesome. I mean, if you have any back pains or any kind of mobility issues, I mean, it is just straight quad. Everybody, yeah. You can do single, so each leg. Yeah. And then surprisingly, the piece of equipment that I think was like really not thought about, but when we got it, I ton of value is we have a hoist leg curl machine. And okay. you know how technology kind of like lifts. They move, yeah, it moves with you. Yeah, it is phenomenal. Whether you have bad mobility or you want to cheat, this thing basically moves and basically takes, moves the hamstrings up. So it kind of gets you in a perfect position. So that's that's yeah. been kind of underappreciated piece. Yeah, I don't think hoist gets enough credit because it was a gym I used to train at. I used to have a bunch of hoist stuff. Yeah. And the way it moves with your body sometimes is really advantageous. Like, you know, I use like a bicep, a, like an independent bicep curl. I wasn't a big fan, but like the lat pull down, for example. That's exactly it, that too. It's great. Yeah. It like moves your body inwards yep. as you're pulling the weight down. So it's like almost makes it impossible to cheat. You're hundred percent right. That's what we've noticed with them is like, there's some movements that you don't want that assist. Yeah. yeah. That lat pull down, it's got the three prongs and it kind of, yeah. I mean, you can do it 10 different yeah. ways. Yeah. Awesome. I keep hearing about that Rogers hip press. I think I'm going to buy it. Yeah. It's, um, it was crazy as we bought it for Murfreesboro and <laughs> this is such a stupid story. We, uh, have all the equipment come in. We over ordered by. Wait, what did you, you, you cut out for a second there. You over ordered by how much? But we had eight pieces that literally could not fit in this gym. And, um, we were making quick decisions of what we could put in place and put in storage. And that piece just got thrown in storage and I kind of forgot about it. Wow. And then we went to uh, Redcon opened a gym in Nashville. And uh, <laughs> I feel like I need to say this, but I was lifting on this and I was saying to, I think one of the guys that works in my gym, I'm like, this piece is freaking awesome. He goes, you own this piece. You, you already have it. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. where, what do you mean? Oh, okay. It's at Arsenal storage. All right, let's, yeah. let's get, so. Yeah, no, I uh, I keep seeing it. You know, Ben has been talking about it a lot. Ben's been yeah. like going on and on about how great it is. And, you know, Nick is talking about it. Now you're talking about it. I'm like, and I actually saved a space uh, in my gym next to the leg press. There's an open space for another leg piece. Yeah. But I was thinking a vertical leg press, but now I'm thinking maybe the hip press. Man, I, we have a vertical leg press and yeah. uh, I personally don't like it, but I bought it more for kind of it's exotic, right? It brings people yeah. And people use it once and I think either don't feel good about it and, yeah. and it gets kind of unused. I, the hip thrust has been like 
not just my personal um, favorite, but like we're getting feedback from the members. And- yeah. I think the hip, I think the vertical leg press is an uncomfortable piece of equipment to use. Yeah. Cause the weight's coming down on you. And if you're not familiar with the feeling or yep. it's, it's not, you know, it's not the hip press is definitely a more comfortable piece to use. Also too, with the vertical, I feel like a lot of us lack good hip mobility or ankle mobility. And it really prohibits the, the lift. I think too. the range of motion is, is too short sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brent, look, man, I, I appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing some of the, ins and outs of the business. Is there anything before we go, is there like a, a message you want to put out there for people buying supplements or is there a message you want to put out for people that want to know about Armada or anything like that? No, I appreciate that. Um, two things. I think that one, thank you for having, um, I think one of the things is, uh, you know, we are lucky enough to work with a couple brands like Hostile and there's just not enough brands like that. So we feel we love when we can grab a brand who's fully transparent, building great formulas. So it's been fun. So thank you. You know, that's as a consumer, be looking at what you're consuming, looking at the label, look at the people that represent the brand. I think that'll make it easier decision of who you want to buy from. Right. Yeah. Um, and then lastly for Amada, yeah, we are always looking for good people, especially people who are ambitious or have a love for supplementation or in this industry. So if you go to our website, which is armadanutrition.com, there's a careers page. We're hiring like crazy. One, because we're trying to fill up Utah and we're always looking for good people and expanding. So um, if you're watching this podcast and it's something you've always wanted to look at, please feel free to uh, shoot us your resume and uh, kind of go from there. Okay. That sounds awesome. I will uh, get this up uh, soon and hopefully people can uh, take a look at that and give you a call and, you know, fill out whatever they fill out on the website and, get involved, man. It'd be great. But listen, I I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been awesome. And uh, the insight is always good for people to hear. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. And hopefully see you sometime soon in person when you get on. The restrictions are are hell. I've been, there's so many things I've missed out on because of the pandemic. So yeah, as soon as I can get out there, I want to. Move to Tennessee, man. I, you know what? Last time I was there, I said to Summer, I'm like, I think I could live here. <laughs> so, but no, we'll get out soon, man. We'll we'll do some filming and uh, check everything out. Do some more flavor testing and shit. It'll be fun. Awesome. Thanks again. Bro. Okay, man. Thanks, brother. We'll talk soon. Yep. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for watching. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and like the video. And if you get a chance, check out the description for all the different links to all the different places you can find Hostile and myself. And lastly, check out Hostile.com for our new line of supplements and all of our apparel and gear. Thanks again for watching.